0: If you're running an asset in God's holding company, what about the way you ran the company last year would excite him to want to expand your influence next year? (laughs) You know, if you're writing a contract renewal proposal, Hey, I think I should get to be the general manager of this business one more year based upon what I did last year or my business plan next year. What about God's divine, you know, executive committee would say, yeah, let's put him back in. Let's, let's double his capacity. Or where would would the board of directors say, dude, you need to fix the shop you got before I let that thing grow?
1: Are you a follower of Jesus that feels called to expand the kingdom of God through building and growing successful businesses? If that's you, then welcome to the Kingdom Capitalist Show that interviews amazing Christians using their business and money-making abilities to expand God's kingdom all over the globe. I'm your host, Ellis Hammond, and welcome to the show. Welcome back, everybody, to the Kingdom Capitalist Show, and as you know, this show really is geared and focused on encouraging, equipping, empowering, and really telling the stories of Christian founders, entrepreneurs, business owners, CEOs, and I couldn't have a more like-minded guest with us today. Uh, We're going to kind of talk about his company, C12, that he is the the president and the founder of, Um, but really... Uh, Before I introduce our guests, just so you know, kind of the background of of C12, their mission is to equip Christian CEOs and owners to build great businesses for a greater purpose. And uh, I am just so excited to introduce to you all today, the CEO and president of C12, Mr. Mike Shero. How are you, brother?
0: I'm good, man. Excited to be on the show and excited to have this conversation. I think we'll have a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, I think so too. So just tell our audience real quick, where are you located in the world?
0: So I am based at our home office in San Antonio, Texas. We've got people and groups in thirty-eight states and five countries, but we are—we got a lean, mean team here in South Texas.
1: Yeah, beautiful. And you're not originally from Texas, though, right? I grew up in Alaska, a little northwest of here. (laughs) I—you're the first person from Alaska that there's four of us, so it's—it's hard to find us. So tell us a little bit, like what—what did you do growing up in Alaska? What is, were you in the, what what is, what is a, what is life growing up in Alaska look like?
0: Yeah. So Alaska is huge and sparsely populated, right? So it's, I always have to tell my Texan brethren and this gets me in trouble. It's, it's over two times the size of Texas, (laughs) but it's got less than 800,000 people. Wow. So Matt it's basically one giant national park, right? Mm -hmm. So most of the population lives around Anchorage. And so I spent most of my life in the major cities, Juneau and Anchorage. Um, But yeah, You don't even realize, I basically grew up in a national park. So trails, waterfalls, hiking, outdoors. Um, I lived in an urban area. So I remember people like, did you have electricity? It was like, yeah, we actually (laughs) had walls and electricity and all that stuff. Um, I did. My claim to fame, if you do true truths and a lie kind of deal in youth group growing up, was um, if you grew up in Alaska, you do get to go dip net fishing, which means you literally stick a net in rivers and pull salmon out. It's a great deal. But when I was 12, we went to do that, and the, the net broke. And my mom was like, oh, my gosh. Like, we counted on catching all these salmon. Mike, you and your brother got to get in the river and catch those fish with your bare hands. No I'm kidding. like, whatever, whatever. Well, somehow she made us fear for our lives enough that we got in this river, and we caught 36 salmon with our bare hands. That's kind of my Alaskan wilderness. 36. Life. It was miserable. Um, I never want to do it again. What
1: was your method? Were there just so many you
0: were just scooping? So for the first 30 minutes, you look like a buffoon falling down, being just mocked by fish. But eventually, there's a technique where you can kind of keep your hands in water and jab in the gills. And, um, what I, Looking <laughs> back, what's really annoying is there was all these people around us taking pictures and going, this is real Alaskan fishing, and no one offered us their net. <laughs> so I'm looking back and like, wait a minute. There are people who put their nets down to take pictures of me suffering. I was someone else's. So I'm
1: from, I'm from South Carolina and they do that with catfish. It's called, there's actually a technique called noodling where they'll, you, you, Stick your hand in this big dark hole, which sounds incredibly dangerous. Yeah, and they let the catfish bite their arm, and then they they pull it out. It's it's one of the craziest things you'll ever see. I don't think I would do that. See, <laughs> yeah. that, that
0: that's a little too much.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's, it's South Carolina for you. All, all our audience is probably laughing at me by now, but um, man, I, I, let's get into this because there is so much I want to talk about. Before we do, uh, I would just love to um, I'm gonna pray for us and ask God to really bless our time so mm-hmm. that we can uh, he will make the most of it. So heavenly Father. Thank you so much for Mike and for the testimony that you've given him in his life and his work with C12 and and then just this time together. And I pray that it would really serve um, founders, Christian entrepreneurs, business owners who um, are excelling in the marketplace, but also maybe struggling. And that this time might really be of encouragement. And I pray that in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Mike, man. So uh, I would love to hear, and we talked a little offline about your story, you know, and, and, and maybe the best way to kind of talk about is your faith journey, because mm-hmm. I know how important that is to to where you are right now and the work that you're doing. Mm-hmm. Has that always been true? Is that kind of the family that you grew up in? Talk to us a little bit about uh, just kind of where your faith was really birthed and, and, and how that applies to your story.
0: Yeah. You know, I um, So to give a little anchoring to that, my wife and I serve in a church locally and a volunteer team, and we were meeting guests one day and this lady came in who just had a really gnarly story and I was trying to talk about the hope of the gospel and how Jesus could make all things new and this is you know everything is possible kind of thing and she looked at me she said it must be easy for you to say kind of pointing at like a goody two-shoe life and I said actually it's absolutely easy for me to say if you knew my story and so I kind of dropped some bullet points on her and she's like whoa yes I believe God can do stuff so um I did grow up in a family where we had Bible stories laying around the house and went to church on Sundays. And so I'm very grateful that I had um I had a strong church heritage. It was kind of a messy family life and so there was some uh drama and things there, but church is very important, God is very important, and we were in a good Bible teaching church and there was a Sunday where the pastor gave a real clear to call of, of the gospel and I remember this distinct moment where I suddenly realized, man, I'm never gonna be good enough. Like I was Trying to be a good Christian boy, um, I realized that there's never really good enough, and I actually have to kind of declare bankruptcy and surrender my life to God. So I walked the aisle, did that whole thing. Cool story. There's the pastor wanted to come to my house that week before he baptized me to make sure I was really clear, and in having me rearticulate what I understood, my stepdad actually accepted Christ, and we got baptized together that next week. With that moment, though, I'd say I got radically saved, even though I didn't get maybe. The Cool Story of Radically Saved from a Long Dark Past, I fell in love with scripture and felt like the presence of God became overwhelmingly uh, palpable for me. And so from that age, like I got baptized when I was eight, um, I started reading the Bible every night, hours at a time. It just came alive. And so I became a bit of a Doogie Howser church guy in that I was like on church planning committees when I was 12 and Speaking badly at retreats when I was fourteen, and just got <laughs> fully sold out. Like I knew, I didn't. I had no idea I was going to be when I grew up. I had all sorts of aspirations. I knew that I belonged to Jesus, and that I wanted to know Him, and I wanted to make Him known. And it, it really became kind of the driving force from there. So I went through a lot of tough spots, circumstantially, uh, medical disablements, family crisis, all sorts of stuff. But those were actually moments where. Um, my faith was forged in seeing God be present. Mm-hmm.
1: You, you, you would think, um, you know, in, in reading your bio, I mean, that's a powerful testimony. Thanks, thanks for sharing that. 14 retreat leader, <laughs> that's pretty I awesome. That's good at it. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, kudos to the pastor who who had confidence to even let you go on the stage, right? Yeah. Um, but, you know, you would think, though, the, the natural path, or I think a lot of what we're used to, well, if that's true, and, and maybe you heard this, you know, oh, you're going to be a great pastor or, mm-hmm. um, you know, you're going to go into full-time ministry because you're preaching at 14 years old. But that was not actually what you did
0: mm-hmm. right out of
1: college. Um, you, you went into the financial service industry. Is that correct?
0: Kind of, yeah. So an interesting little data point there. You do get that asked a lot. So I was at a church planning retreat in middle school where, people, where my pastor was like, so do you realize you're probably going to be a pastor one day? And I was like, nope. Was like, Doesn't it seem obvious? And I said, nope, I know two things. I said, I'm never going to live in Texas and I'm never going to work for a church. And he said, really? And I said, I promise you those two things. Now I've I've done both. So now I say I'll never live in Costa Rica. I'll never win a lottery. Like like I've learned not to say never to God. Mm-hmm. But um, I got licensed as a pastor when I was 17. The church I was going to said, Mike, this is, This is you. We're licensing you. We want you to be freed up to do any kind of vocational work. Um, And I actually went to college as a pastoral studies major.
1: Mm.
0: And the first, after the first semester changed the business, Uh, my ministry advisor actually said, Mike, I really think you should get a business degree. And I was like, business degree. What? I'm like, I'm, I'm about Jesus. And he said, yeah, but a lot of pastors have to be bi-vocational Two, you don't get taught a lot of practical things around business education if you do a ministry track, and I think it should be good for you. And three, I think, I think you would enjoy it. And so I went into business, and I I found I was good at it. I was curious and just enjoyed it. Um, and I had this, and so it, it kind of created this turbulence for me because I was like, man, I actually really enjoy this business stuff, but I'm all about Jesus. And those felt, and people were even describing them to me as kind of conflicting interests. Mm-hmm. Um, but I actually got involved in a subsidiary of the Walgreen company. Um, they launched a business that was around healthcare management, business to business consulting. And I helped a local 79 year old entrepreneur start a financial services firm. Wow. Um, so I did those things concurrently. So I had a corporate gig and a startup where we went from 30 employees to 6,000 in four years. Um, and then a local you know, wealth management pension plan company um, coming out of college on this journey of i'm a jesus guy but i like business
1: yeah what was the i mean i guess the voices outside what, what were they saying around that time did you have support no. when, when you did that
0: no actually, i remember i remember when i wrote my friends at church back home that hey my ministry advisor advised i get a business degree i'm still going to do greek and biblical studies for a minor and um i still was going to go to seminary is my plan but he really recommended a business degree, and I remember these little church ladies saying, "We're so sad to see you abandon <laughs> your call." And I thought you loved Jesus. Now you're going to go do business. You know, it was, and I was really wrestling with it, mm-hmm. and, um, and I really like there were some crisis moments where, as I was beginning to have success in my career, business wise, that I was a little like, God, is this like, am I neglecting, like? I'm called to be something. I was very involved in my church. My wife and I were serving and leading in lots of ministry things in the margins of our life. But um, yeah, I didn't didn't have a lot of models. In fact, at one point, I got offered a full ride scholarship to go to seminary. And I was like, this is God's provision. Peace out. I'm going. And the week I was going to make the decision, three buddies in business called me unrelated to each other and said, dude, I, I don't think you should do that. I said, why? And they said, listen, I know you're all about disciple making and I know you're about Jesus, but I think God's actually forging you to be some sort of like disciple maker in business. And what if, what if this is your training ground for what he's making you to be? Hmm. And I went, well, what does that mean? What does that look Ford like? For concept, right? Yeah. Yeah. And they went, we don't know either. We just feel like if you leave this to do ministry proper, the way you think of it, we think you're going to be missing something God's teaching you right now. And that's literally all they had for me. And I went home and told my wife, i was like, this is such a half-baked answer. And she said that I, I think they're right too. I feel like this is where God's teaching you something. And you are called to be about ministry, but what if it is in business? And I literally was like, I have no clue what that means, but okay. And so I stayed the course in business and literally had this night where I was like, God, I don't even know what this looks like. And I, when I said that, I literally felt like God went, Cool. Start asking me to show you that instead of ha- mm. asking me to get you out of business. Let me show mm. you my kingdom there, and it was kind of the beginning of a giant odyssey that I had no idea where it would take me.
1: <laughs> so our audience, I mean, you got me on a cliffhanger, right? So like, what, what, what was the fruit of that? I mean, eventually you're you're at where you are now, right? But in mm-hmm. reading your bio, at some point you got you actually went and worked for a church. So I'm curious how all of those come together.
0: So I, you know. Review mirror is a really cool way to understand things in the moment. (laughs) This was a, like I was talking to a bunch of uh, college seniors at an event recently and they were like, you know, how'd you get to your dream job? And I said, well, I had 18 jobs before I got to this job Mm -hmm. and none of them made strategic sense at times, but looking back, God redeemed all things. I think God took me on a schooling journey of tearing down um, false beliefs or limiting beliefs. Uh, both about myself, the gospel, ministry, life, and uh, forging and equipping me with things, and I didn't realize I didn't realize the show, the journey I was on. So the next week, um, God put a leader in my life, and became my first real mentor around what does it mean to be totally sold out to Jesus and wildly successful in business, and he began to challenge me to embrace this moment by moment, glorifying God in all I do, um, kind of paradigm. And I needed to sit in that for a while. So I, I bounced around in a bunch of roles in business and actually began to realize I had this incredible mission field. And I began to realize actually it was not as good a Christian as I thought because it's, it's actually easy to be a good Christian on Sundays and even in the evenings, it's actually kind of hard to be a genuine disciple of Jesus on Thursdays doing business with major corporations and governments and difficult people. And, uh, like one point, I had 67 employees in my little unit, and 65 of them were wildly not churchy people. And I had Satan worshippers, Hindus, Buddhists, Muslims, and people who would give you cuss words if you mentioned Jesus. And figuring out how to be Jesus with them was really hard. And so, yeah, God led me on a journey of of jobs of uh, increasing responsibility. And the interesting thing was, I I was I felt like I was truly on a journey of God. How do I help business, and how do I help people, and how do I follow you? Like show me how those things merge. Um, so I did end up in Texas. My wife, I married a good Iowa farm girl. She had family in Texas. We ended up here, and the church we were at, we were tending, serving in. The pastor called me to lunch one day, and I I told my wife when I'm leaving, I was like, he's going to ask me for either money, the capital campaign's going on, or to serve more and we're already doing plenty of both so i'll take i'll buy his lunch and i'll tell him no so <laughs> went to lunch and came home and she's like what did he asked for and i was like well he actually asked for time and money he asked if i would leave my job to come work at the church for a season help them through this growth season they're going through so he asked me to take a 60 percent pay cut and give a lot more time um so i did do that for a few years wow so I,
1: wow
0: Became you an know, associate pastor at a you know, mid-sized church it was going multi-site and um, had a chance to through that, get a focus on discipling people in our congregation who were in the mm-hmm. workplace. And you know, I started a company while I was there. Um, so I spent a few years in vocational ministry, as people would say, though I actually grieved the fact it was in some ways a narrower range of ministry versus what I had in business. Mm. And it was actually through those things that a buddy invited me to join a C12 group. So I, um, I joined the C12 group in 2010 as part of that journey. And uh, so that was way.
1: your intro at, mm-hmm. into C12 is when you got in that group. Yep. Um, so I'll, let's talk about San Antonio real quick, because I know, you, you know, we um, just God's providence and leading you to San Antonio and, mm-hmm. and, and there before we kind of get into C12, staying focused on you and your story a little bit, mm-hmm. tell our audience why, you know, that place has been so significant and, even the interesting thing about guy bringing you back to Texas.
0: So I moved to San Antonio in 2006 because my wife had family here. I mentioned before, I grew up saying the one place I'd never lived is Texas. And I didn't have a reason to say that. I'd never been here. Didn't know people from here. It just was the other big state that's hot. And so I was like, I'm never going to go there. So I moved here in 2006 just to be near in-laws and to raise my family. And when I did, it kind of, tripped a, a wire in my family back in Alaska of drama. In fact, it culminated in my mom one day calling me saying like, how could you do this to me? I was like, do what? And she's like, why do you move of all places to San Antonio? And in my mind, like it could have been Dallas, could have been Houston, could have been Philadelphia. Like it's just a big city down South. Why does it really matter? And that's when she disclosed a part of her story that I'd never known. She had, uh, purposely kind of left off a big part of her story and my story so that I would never go digging in it.
1: Hmm.
0: And what that story was, is she was actually a basic trainee at Lackland air force base, the big base here in San Antonio. And that, um, her, uh, the, I was actually conceived here in, a, a context of domestic violence where she experienced, uh, assault and drama and pain and was hospitalized. And, um, was even encouraged by the Air Force at the time to just resolve this by do away at the pregnancy, move on, we'll make this all go away. And she made some decisions here that ended up in her and biological dad at the time being shipped off and ended up in Alaska. Divorce, remarriage, all sorts of things happen. And in her mind, San Antonio was ground zero of pain and of oh. terrible hardships. And so she said, it's the one city in the world I'll never go back to. And ironically, by God's providence, not having any clue, God led me, Alaska kid, through Chicago to San Antonio. And I actually started doing volunteer ministry at the very hospital she was hospitalized in before I found out. And so for her, it took a while. She she viewed this as pain. Like, why are you digging up the past? I wasn't digging. God was redeeming the past. Mm-hmm. God was actually taking me back to ground zero to plant a flag of of the gospel and hope in the very place that to her was hopelessness and pain. And so there's a big theme in my life um, of God redeeming all things and God actually doing his best work in the middle of tragedy. So whether it's, and it's kind of epitomized by the fact I live here, um, which I would not choose to live here for here, but I totally see God's providence in me being here. And so, I mean, he led me through being crippled at age four with acute rheumatoid arthritis and being in a wheelchair for a while and unable to walk and then in terrible medical conditions to miraculously healing me when I was 20 to leading me through my mom having a brain injury when I was 15 and me having to navigate being her caregiver and Mm. healthcare stuff and just some pretty crazy storms. But every one of those storms is actually, I felt like a... um, a threshold of God kind of saying, are you going to trust me? Are you going to watch what I I can do good in this? And so, yeah, living here is a bit of a geographic reminder that sometimes, um, that Romans 8, is just true. God works all things to good. Even the most darkest things can be the basis God puts good on top of.
1: Man, uh, this is, you know, it is a show we talk about business, but man, I, yeah. I love that we can get into this because without that foundation, right, like none of this really matters. Yep, um, totally. Yeah, that's that's so good. Real quick, well, maybe for some of our listeners before we kind of shift and, mm-hmm. to stay in this vein, because it sounds like you have kind of been in the dark a lot, you know, mm-hmm. in the sense of long seasons. Mm-hmm. For those who are maybe experiencing long seasons of not sharing where God's going to begin to redeem this part of their story what hope would you provide for them?
0: Mm. You know, I think um, sometimes we get so fixated on the where and how question that we, we, we miss God being in the middle of the storm and how he'd have us lead. So the, like a life verse for me, that's a common life verse, but I, for me, it means something a little differently is the whole Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, you know, trust the Lord with all your heart, don't lean on your understandings and all your ways, acknowledge him and he'll make your path straight. And I think people like the beginning and end of that, passage you know trust god he makes it all work out the middle is the messy part right (laughs) and so there were so many times where i couldn't see more than six inches in front of me and i had no idea um multiple near-death experiences multiple near family death experiences multiple financial desperation medical desperation moments where i i had no vision of how god was going to make good but we had to wrestle the question of do you trust that god is good And then that verse says, don't trust in your understanding. So just accept you've got impaired senses in all your ways, acknowledge him. So basically you're like, God, what area of my life, how do I align the sails of my life to you and trust that you'll propel the ship where it needs to go. And I may not be able to see through the fog bank, what the port destination is, but if my sails are just focused on being correctly aligned, you're, you will be propelling me by providence to where I need to go. And, And that's, most of the time, when I've, got, I've got some pretty cool before-after stories. I had no clue the after story until the after moments. Yeah. And, and, and I think um, even my wife and I got pregnant, we got married. We were married eight, nine years before we had kids. We wrestled with infertility and miscarriages. And the first time we lost a baby, um, we got angry. And one of the things that came out of that was, was people trying to assuage us with, I'd say, you know, pseudo-theology. You know? And I said, listen, the reality is, this hurts. We don't like it. We don't understand it. It doesn't seem fair. And God is good and sovereign and powerful and we trust him. And so we're like, God be God and live in this middle, being honest and yet trusting in God healed us and led us through that. And I don't have a three-step process, right? But, um, in a storm, all you can do is say, are my sales correctly adjusted?
1: I love that analogy.
0: And what are you doing, God? And then you come back and you go, wow. In the middle of storm, God moved me from here to here. That's cool, go God. <laughs> yeah. But I think if we fixate trying to navigate um, and refuse to adjust the sails until I know where I'm going, that's where we miss the ship.
1: Now I I, I'm, I appreciate you saying that 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 Proverbs three five through six or five through seven is really powerful. That was the mm-hmm. the 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 three verses that my pastor shared at my dad's funeral when he passed mm-hmm. away when I was 21 and so that that's a that's a strong message for for me as well and just same thing like i have no idea what you know like what's next but i just remember that to lean out on your own understanding so powerful man thank you what an incredible start i know that's going to serve a lot of people who are listening today so thanks for sharing that um to To kind of make the the pivot, right now that we've <laughs> uh, we've we've gone down the pastoral route. Good luck. Show yeah, me we're yeah, we're bringing all of this out today. But this is what I love. This is why I love a podcast show. This is why I started this because of the stories that come out of this and the help. Um, this is, uh, well, I would say it this way. Um, we both know this and believe this wholeheartedly. Just because we're talking about business now doesn't mean that that we're not having the same conversation about Christ Mm -hmm. and the same principle doesn't apply to lean out on your own understanding. And so the fact that we can talk about life and abortion and miscarriage and struggle, and then in the same conversation, talk about business, I think it sounds like a conversation Jesus might be having anyways. Right. So Mm -hmm. um, uh, uh, yeah, so I, I think we naturally can kind of make this. And so, Yeah, I guess I would love to hear – or our audience would probably like to hear a little bit more about C12 and kind of just – maybe we'll start there. Explain to us what C12 is and what it does, who it serves, and then I know there's a lot we want to talk about kind of faith in the marketplace.
0: Yeah, maybe a bridge would be – so I mentioned I joined a group, and the way I joined a group was a buddy was a member, and he said, hey, should you check this thing out? I'd never heard of it. Um, He asked me. I said, no – time, money, blah, blah, blah. He's like, no, what's your real reason? You love Jesus. You love business. Why wouldn't you want to be in a group like this? And I said, Mm -hmm. well, to be real frank, I think Christian business groups are weird and wacky. (laughs) And he went, what? I said, yeah, like, I love the idea, but oftentimes Christian business is code for bad business um, where the fish symbol becomes a license or excuse to run a poor company Mm -hmm. or where you get wacky theology or where it's just uh, pseudo generosity, good old boy clubs where people talk about, you know, giving 10% to God as if they're tipping or like that makes them generous. And so thus I'm a good Christian philanthropist. And so I said, I just find all that a waste of my time. And his buddy got me to a meeting by describing a tension that grabbed me. And I said, yes, I agree with that. And basically C12 is about this tension. And it's, he said, if you could do a Venn diagram, you know, think about Jim Collins hedgehog, this tension circle, three circles would be what does work as worship really mean? we know we're supposed to do business to honor God, glorify him, but but really, how do you know you are? What does that mean? And he said it, in C12, they're going to challenge you to think about that being excellence and goodness and beauty that's above reproach and gives glory to God because of how great it is. And that it's uniquely gospel fueled, that there's business should be done differently because I belong to Jesus and this business belongs to God and that there should be a difference there. So we got to unpack that circle. The second circle is, business as ministry if all disciples are full-time disciples Jesus didn't call some to follow him some just to fund those who do then we're all ministers of the gospel businesses are context and we're accountable for our ministry impact not just our financial giving and so I don't get to at the end of the time stand before God and say here's my charitable donation tax deductible receipts mm-hmm. i was faithful he's going to say how would you do to advance my gospel and well, how do you do that? Like I, I wrestled with that when I worked at Walgreens. Man, I'm a Fortune 50 company, publicly traded. Like, what's the rules? What's that look like? And then the third circle is a life in order, rightly ordered loves. Like at the end of the day, I'm a son of God, I'm a husband, I'm a father, and Jesus cares just as much about how I walk those roles out in the context of trying to change the world through business and make an eternal impact. And if I don't have the fruit of the spirit and look and smell like Jesus while I'm doing these things that I'm doing it wrong. And so Christian capitalists, um, kingdom capitalists, as your show's called, people on mission and business, the, the, it's hard to know how do you pull those three together.
1: Yeah.
0: And so he said, that group would help me. That's what got me in. And that's what it's about. We got models and paradigms and processes. that. But it's, at the end of the day, it's how do you build a great business that, does, that fulfills a greater purpose, fulfills your Ephesians 2.10 destiny in Christ. And how do you bring those three circles together?
1: That's a big mission, right? Is, and, slightly, uh, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, at the heart of C twelve is that. What is that? What does that really look like? How does that? How does that really get worked out? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I know gr- groups are a big part of your model, but and, mm-hmm. and maybe that's the answer. So, I would love to hear. Like, how, how is that? As as the CEO, as the president of that, how are you seeing that um, best worked out in your context?
0: Yeah, so I, I think the, the impediments to Christian business owners, entrepreneurs, CEOs fulfilling their identity in Christ and their calling in the marketplace is often a lack of models and paradigms. It's a lack of tools and process. It's a lack of relevant case studies. It's a lack of accountability. Um, and it, it, you just get caught up in the matrix, right? And so you get caught up trying to do no harm, do good where you can and and you don't really know what success looks like and so yeah you know, i'm a bad golfer i've got a natural slice it's pretty epic and so if if i try to make up for my slice my inability to aim the ball correctly by just swinging harder you actually get farther and farther off course and many christians in business are swinging as hard as you possibly can but don't really know how to get the ball on the green and near the actual goal, and so we use a group concept that's got um, full-time facilitators dedicated to serving their members um, curriculum. We've actually got 10 years' worth of content around actually double-clicking and answering those questions. What, how do you honor God in how you hire, fire, fundraise, sell, manage lawsuits, um, how you do succession planning, how you do investments, how you do culture, all those things matter to God. And you almost have to reimagine your whole MBA, redo business through a biblical grid and go, what's best practice, world class, results oriented, and as the gospel, as the fuel, not as a little wrapper. Mm-hmm. And so we use content to deliver that. And then a constant cadence of accountability that forces you to every month report out on all of those dimensions. How's your marriage? How's your walk with God? How's your stewardship of your health? How's your impact in the business? How's the economics? How's your people? And you don't get to say, "Well, those this these stuff are falling apart." But look at this shiny thing. It's like well, that's great, The God cares about the full full three hundred and sixty here. And so we use a group format that tries to do learning, accountability, assessment, action planning, with an expectation that you're going to get results every month. And um, then network you with others. So the reality is, if you're, you know, I'm in a C twelve group. effect, fact, I've got my group meeting tomorrow. And in my group, we've got everything from a a $2 billion publicly traded software company doing cybersecurity, um, manufacturing company, a healthcare company. We've got a large fintech company. We've got a internet of things, oil and gas company, uh, wildly different. So it can't be cookie cutter solutions. There's not, you know, here's the five things you do to honor Jesus. Um, you've got to get rigorous and you got to figure out, man, how do I apply that verse? How do I apply that best practice? How do I apply that business principle? in my business today with who I am and who I've got. And so the groups are around doing that. And the cool thing is uh, we just passed, I think we got 2,500 and something members now um, across the US, Malaysia, South America, Singapore. Wow. Um, And they're growing because we're helping people break down the dualism that listen, success is not one dimension, it's all dimensions. We should be better stewards of capital human beings and of eternal impact and we get all three humming man that that creates some pretty cool returns
1: is there i i know like oh this sounds so good is there like a um i don't know a reoccurring story when someone joins c12 and and i don't want to put uses as a blanket statement so maybe you just have a story you can share but mm-hmm. i don't know for our audience to really kind of understand like what this really looks like to come into a group like this the transformation that can begin to happen when that dualism is Mm -hmm. uh, no longer there what do you what do you constantly you know what's the reoccurring message or story that you see uh you know working for c12 for so long
0: yeah so there's usually when i meet an entrepreneur within about 10 minutes in my mind i'm already going okay i know what you'll be telling me in three months (laughs) Like I know what you're going to go to a group and you're going to be the guy or gal who has this breakdown, this breakthrough, and this is your deal. So usually back to those three circles of Venn diagram, there's some area of major neglect or atrophy. So Mm -hmm. they're like, man, I'm killing business, but there's no ministry or man, I'm killing it in kingdom stuff, but my marriage is on the rocks. Um, Or I'm doing good business and good ministry, but I'm actually not doing Jesus business. And so usually there's this shock and awe of, I had no idea there was this many things to think about. I had no idea There's this much resources. I never even thought about that part of my business yet. Um, I didn't know you could do these things. I didn't know there was this. You know, I, I've had private equity guys come visit groups and start crying going, I didn't know there were businesses like this. Mm. I didn't know this stuff happened. And so usually there's both a hope of, wow, there's a pretty massive tribe out there doing really cool stuff. There's a bit of a depression syndrome when you realize like, people are like, I'm not doing as good a job as I thought I was. I thought I was a pretty good Christian. Like, man, I got a lot of gaps to close in my business, in my life. Um, But I was like, this is refreshing authenticity when you're in a circle of folks who all get it, have the same deals you do, and you're fully known. Like all those things are on the table. And now the question begins, Hey, Jesus is just as interested in that contract negotiation with the bank tomorrow as he is with the Bible study you're leading tonight with kids, mm. as he is with the mission trip you're doing next summer, right? Like mm. all of those things matter. And when those things get put on the same shelf and worked through, so there's typically, so 89% of people, their marriages are wildly transformed. Like they would say a year, one year in, my marriage is significantly different than it was a year ago. Um, 60 plus percent are suddenly reading God's word and practicing disciplines out of joy a year later, because they began to realize, man, I can't do this. If I'm not hearing from my father, mm. I can't, I can't be about my father's business if I don't know my father's business. And, um, and then their businesses tend to grow. We tend to make fewer bad decisions, seize better ones. They typically are more profitable. Their people start flourishing. And the cool thing is our average business we serve, once they get into the, the kind of rhythm are three to they have three to five times the salvations of through evangelism and discipleship rates and missional activity as the typical US church does Wow what you that's think amazing. about it's not that's not a diss in the church businesses have mostly lost people in them right so you have a totally different pool totally. but like uh, one of the healthcare companies in my group tomorrow in 2019 they had 493 salvations at their company that year. How many? 493. <laughs> oh my now, God there'd be a very small percentage of churches in America that'd be able to claim that. Wow. Right. And so when there's a, yeah, so it's, it's a cool deal. So when when our uh, proposition kind of creates what I think is a perpetual disequilibrium, like if you think about the way Jesus talked to people and Jesus did most of his work during the week, during the day in marketplaces, right? Most of his parables were workplace parables. Most of his disciples were workplace people. Um, he would ask questions that threw people off. In fact, they'd actually get scared of asking him the next question because they're like, geez, that's a good question. And if I answer that one, man, that tips all kinds of dominoes. And he would lead through creating purposeful disequilibrium. See, basically, we're about creating perpetual disequilibrium towards gospel conformity and flourishing for entrepreneurs. And so, what that creates is this kind of rearview mirror moment where you don't even realize that people look back and like, wow my business is totally different i'm totally different our people are totally different i didn't realize how fast and how far we've come because you're in this constant oh i gotta work on that oh wow hadn't thought about this and as you know the game's changed Hmm. and so it's um you you shared a stat
1: there that i I, for me was staggering and i got a double click on you said Eighty-nine percent of people who go through your group in the first year come back and say that their marriage was radically transformed. Mm-hmm. Now, this is not a marriage podcast, but <laughs> this is, you know, it's um, about to be it's about to be <laughs> exactly. But I gotta know because if eighty nine percent of the of who you serve is who this podcast serves, mm-hmm. almost a hundred percent come back and say this. My question is like what are they neglecting? Why? Yeah, why? Because I think that's gonna be I mean it, that's something we should talk about.
0: Yeah. So I've, I've done some digging on that. We've actually partnered with some national marriage researchers and scientists to actually do surveys and try to dig into the below the waterline on this. So I won't get into all that, but here's an interesting factoid. Um, there's all sorts of marriage assessment tools out there. And one of the big ones that's pretty clinically robust is called Prepare and Enrich. It's been around for a long time. Churches use a lot like premarital counseling. If, when you run that assessment tool in churches – do you know who typically has some of the lowest scores in terms of marriage vitality? Yeah. She's oftentimes the pastors. Mm-hmm. Um, we ran that in our community and found that the same thing is true of serious Christian entrepreneurs. And here's what kind of creates the surprising gap. Typically you got good financial stewardships; so you're not fighting about money. You've typically got decent spiritual maturity. So you're, you're not being wildly misbehaving. So it's not like there's tons of abuse and drama in that sense that actually creates an artificial buoyancy that kind of masks marital neglect, where you make a mistress of your business. You know, we said I said, a CEO come to fly out to see me last week who $150 million company said, Mike, God has broken me this last year to realize that when someone said, what would you die for? He said, I would die for my faith. I'd die for my kids and I'd die for my business. And then I think I'd die for my wife. He said, if I'm being honest. That's the sequence and the business has actually become such a cool ministry and such a cool platform. It's honestly trumped my wife
1: mm-hmm. and a
0: scary verse that should haunt us. This is a verse to husbands, but I think it's universally implicative. First um, Peter three, seven Peter's talking to the husband says, you know, love your wives, be compassionate to them as, as a, uh, you know, fragile, they have different needs than you. And he says that the ending statement is the should sober you up. He says, do this as co they're co- They're equal with you and Jesus. Lest your prayers not be heard. Wow. It's one of the only two times where God says, I may not answer your prayers. You may be praying about good things, great things, and God's love is saying, Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're not loving your wife. I'm not going to bless your business. I'm not going to help you with that. Go back home, love your wife. And we tend to compartmentalize so radically mm-hmm. that when every month you're having to say, Hey, how's your business? How's your PL? How's your cash flow? How's your marriage? And if you put, It's okay. Well, just like if you put cash flow, okay, we'd say, well, what are you gonna do about that? Like losing money? Okay, that's three months in a row you're losing money. You gotta stop that. Like, how do we help you? We're gonna show up your business tomorrow and change that with you. It, it's putting that on the same table, realizing I'm not a success, if I'm not a successful representative of Jesus in all my domains, and God has said, my marriage is one of the platforms that's actually about proclaiming the gospel to the world. It's a mystery, right? And so without, we're not a marriage ministry either. We, we actually only have three pieces of curriculum that talk about marriage directly. But because monthly it's part of the dashboard of success and partly because you've got peers who are not lecturing you but going, dude, I've been there. Um, here's where I'm at. It begins to change. And um, one of the, our little secret sauces is frankly, part of the reason people don't leave C12 is because their spouses won't let them. <laughs> like like i had a guy who was looking at breaking up with a partnership to go launch a new venture and it was be really risky Went home and told his wife hey i may have to break up and this is risky what do you think and she said i trust you as long as you promise not to leave c12 because i don't want the old you again mm. and he's like really that's your concern she mm. said yeah i don't want the old you so if you'll stay in c12 fine do a new venture
1: What a beautiful testimony. That's awesome, man. That's, that's real. That's really, really helpful. We have a mastermind of our own and uh, I've been thinking, I mean, along the same vein of like, how do we really incorporate that? So that's, yeah, because it's, you don't have to be a marriage ministry to really, I mean, I love what you just, the success dashboard, like it's, it's, it's one of the dials, right. And it's, it's part of it. So incredible. So let me ask you this then. um, and, And this really is kind of about the marketplace. Your observations, because I heard you uh, on another podcast talk about this. Just what's happening in the marketplace from a faith perspective, um, and and how that really applies to CEOs, founders. You know, regardless if they have a Christian business or just not. You know, just a you know, it's not a Christian based business. Will will you talk about that? Your observations.
0: Yeah. um, Do you mean positive or negatives? (laughs)
1: <laughs> let's uh, let's let's do positives okay, for okay. right now.
0: So I think this is one of the greatest eras in the church for Christians in the marketplace to be part of an epic adventure story, partly because while the world is convulsing around this kind of post-Christian, anti-institutionalism, church drama, there's never been an era, particularly in the West, where people are so hungry for purpose and significance and meaning, and they're asking all these yeah you know, epistemological, like, why do I exist and what matters and type questions. And people are increasingly dissatisfied with the old success, then significance kind of paradigm. They want significance today. And if there's a, a business type that should be poised to meet them in that, it'd be Christian-led businesses who are about having you live out who you're called to be. So there's this surge of um, spiritualism, even while there's a, a you know, reaction to religion. There's this hunger for purpose. And there's, um, yeah, there, there, there's this bit of, uh, I feel like this pregnancy pains uh, happening globally. I was just at the Luzon Congress in Manila in 2019, which is a global gathering of church leaders from 100 and something countries. And one of the, number, the number one issue we talked about for three days was the role of vocation and career and business as the form of both working out our salvation and discipleship and advancing and fulfilling the Great Commission. And so it's this global question as more and more Christians want to, but don't know how. And more and more people want to see authentic integration. I think the irony is, um, I just got asked to go speak to a a bunch of congressmen in DC in a few weeks. And when I said, "I, I can come, what do you mean to talk about? They said, well, we're realizing that there's obviously millions of Christians who go to work. But for some Christians, they're actually trying to make their faith change how they work that the work is an extension of their faith. They're not just, it's not just like you're a, a Cubs fan who happens to work at a bank. Like Your identity transforms how you work at that bank. And would you come help us understand that? Because we don't think we've understood how religious liberty and commerce intersect. And so that, that's burgeoning. So we're seeing more and more uh, venture funds, more and more incubators, more and more uh, podcasts like this more and more great books being published and better profiles and case studies of, hey, this isn't just about putting a sticker on your business and saying, I love Jesus. And this isn't about tipping God with a few extra bucks out of the wealth you make as if God's like, ooh, yay. You know, By that, there's a chance to really actually have a walk with Jesus in business and have your business be radically dangerous for mm-hmm. the world in a good way. So I think there's, um, I'm, I'm getting... I'm seeing more and more business schools begin to ask this question for their students, uh, secular and Christian. hey, what's the faith piece? This whole movement of uh, social responsibility. Uh, the World Economic Forum, Davos actually called us back in November and said, hey, 2020, there's this big push around social responsibility for global commerce. And one of the issues we're wrestling with is what's the secret operating system component to help businesses that scale not be abusive or corrupt to people? And they're like, we're well, wondering if there's a missing faith piece to this all. Maybe there needs to be a, a healthy dose of faith to help ward off corruption. And I was like, you know, it's, it's ironic when you think? <laughs> a totally secular group is saying, <laughs> right. hey, do you think faith might actually be helpful to mm. business being wholesome?
1: Mm.
0: You know, like it could be if we stop living compartmentalized lives. Yeah. So there's a, I'm real excited about where the movement is going, where the church at large is going. And the holy discontents that i think are actually great opportunities
1: do you think one of my theories for that and i think one of it is this this conscious towards um you know kind of the wholeness i mean exactly what you were talking about the rise of that just from a global perspective Mm -hmm. but also like in our economy the u.s economy would you say one of the reasons for um maybe the opportunity for kind of authenticity in your faith, especially, you know, in your business is because being a Christian no longer benefits you as much as it mm-hmm. did, you know, in past decades to say, oh, you're a Christian. Let's do business together. Yeah. Right. Like, is it, would you, I mean, that's one of my theories that like part of the, the rise of authenticity, authenticity that can begin to happen is because, well, being a Christian now doesn't no, you know, it really doesn't have the same pull that it mm-hmm. did 30 years ago
0: yeah so i yeah amen so when i get real excited about c12 stuff for people we can serve it's when it's in places like kuala lumpur where it's a muslim country and it's a federal crime to share mm. jesus in the workplace and yet we've got scores of members and scores of people coming to christ all the time there and it's not cool it's not chic but it's real. And when I think about the West coast, the Northeast areas where the Bible belt's long gone and it's not cool to be Christian, it makes you beg the question like, well, then why do it? And that is increasingly um, I think part of what we're getting over is for too long. uh, We actually encouraged a schizophrenic kind of I'm a church guy on Sunday and I'm a moral business guy on Monday. But if those two worlds didn't match, and if I didn't realize that I'm as accountable to God for what, how I do business, that's where you get all these hypocrisy claims that are totally legit. We've, we've allowed people to think about their business lives too differently and just made it a check writing equation. But the world's actually really interested in seeing values that connect to business. There's some cool studies that have been done on Uh, firms of endearment and a bunch of different pieces. AC Nielsen even did a research project, I think in 2013, that found that 69% of American consumers would rather do business with someone who disclosed their faith motivation. Mm -hmm. If it was consistent in how the business made decisions, what they don't like is when your faith becomes periodically used to whack somebody with, or um, seems incongruent with their experience. And so it's ironic. People think, well, I don't know, it's pretty risky. Yeah, it is risky. I think internally it's more risky to not. But I also think um, you've got to realize the world's wanting to say, does, do things line up? We've got an integrity question. But if you live it out, even people who don't agree with your Jesus are going to really respect the wholesome and the goodness and the consistency of your identity. And so I think that that is part of the risk, but I think that's the invitation of this era too yeah
1: yeah gosh that's so powerful i remember being in in istanbul turkey and that was like the revelation that i had over there was uh, and i was over with a missionary and i was in school at that point and i remember him telling me or we're actually sitting down with a turkish pastor Mm -hmm. and we were talking about international missions he said man if you if you ever want to move here he said move here and start a business Mm -hmm. and i remember talking to the missionary he's like yeah and the reason the pastor said that and he kind of commented on it was like as a full-time missionary he doesn't have a business or a job there um and the the men look at him weird because mm-hmm. he stays at home during the day right and so mm-hmm. uh that was such a an interesting concept to me like oh yeah like business or entrepreneurship um and creating jobs and helping people really you know build wealth and create economies like that is the path of the gospel um, i mean I, and it's funny that we're talking about our nation because how You're that right. can be so true not just in istanbul anymore and foreign missions but here in the u.s like this
0: that's well, what's crazy so the guy who leads my c12 group worked in riyadh saudi arabia for 20 years working with saudi aramco you know world's largest company arguably um, and he was working for the saudi arabian government working reporting directly to the minister of interior who ran runs the oil business for saudi arabia kind of a big deal and he, one day, breached, broached the conversation. He said, hey, uh, Minister of Elder Respect, I'm a Christian. And I would like, to, if I'm going to run this business unit, I'd like to be able to pray at work and talk about my faith. And how is I going to work? And the minister, this Muslim minister looked at him and said, honestly, it'd be refreshing. One of the things that's confusing to me is how Americans seem to be able to claim to be Christian, but we never see their faith at work here. Mm. And the fact that it gets turned off for 10 hours a day, honestly, is the biggest disclaimer to us of its legitimacy he's like so if you want to pray and do Bible studies and have your faith change the way you do business as long as you don't get in the way of my Muslim brothers having their prayers five times a day and their practices right well actually respect you more and so he he actually had this great work life of living on his faith and having ministry and, and doing great ministry stuff in Saudi Arabia he moved to Houston, And had a bunch of Christians tell him, Hey dude, we, we gotta be careful with this. (laughs) I don't know if we should pray at work. Like it's, you gotta be considerate of others. And so we really think you should kind of dial that down. And he said, I've got more persecution and advisement to like, don't do that in Texas than I did in Saudi Arabia. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, we've got some interesting artificial walls. I I once spoke at a Christian medical dental association convention and, Um, I was talking about how to incorporate Christ in your medical practice and things you could do. And afterwards I was doing Q and A. And I thought I was going to get like tough questions, philosophical bioethic questions or business model questions. And what I got was the first one was this dentist saying, do you mean I could, I could tell a patient that I worship Jesus and I won't go to jail. I was like, are you like, have you seen people go to jail in the U S for that? Like are there secret police I don't know about? He's like, well, no, I just always thought if you did that, you'd go to jail. And I went, Uh, nope. (laughs) Someone may look at you funny. Someone say, no, thanks, bozo. But like, you're not going to go to jail. Other countries, yes. But there's a lot of limiting beliefs that get in the way.
1: It's almost that like the mindset when we think about, maybe I just say this way, we almost rather be, um, physically persecuted than be talked bad about, Mm -hmm. right? Um, that it makes more sense. Oh, I'll go to this other country and live out my faith. But I, you know, to come back here, I, I don't. I don't want anybody to talk bad about me here. I have a reputation here, um, and so that's something that I think is is really challenging. So thanks for bringing that up. Yeah, and man. Mike, I, I there's I know our time is running out here. We're gonna have to have you on a second episode, and we can just talk about business processes and strategies and BHAGs because I know that's a lot of what you're gifted, and and even the way that you've grown C12 to what it is today. Uh, there's so much for our listeners. Um, to be able to benefit from. I I guess maybe just one of the last questions is um, as you're speaking, you know, this is an audience of founders and and entrepreneurs and business owners. I mean, we've talked about this idea of bringing their faith into it, but just some wisdom or advice that, that you see is, you know, and really growing and scaling or guys who are at kind of this high performing level, they're doing seven or eight figures in their business. What are just some practical tips that you might give as it relates to business practices? Um, you know, we've talked a lot already about living out their faith in their workplace, but, but what else would you, uh, would you add? Mm. Uh,
0: So a few different things. One, it's, I, I would say if you had the opportunity to have a Monday morning, a daily morning huddle, with Bill Gates, Elon Musk, Steve Jobs, whoever, you'd probably make that meeting. Um, it'd be pretty dumb to try to scale a business and neglect the opportunity we have to spend uh, time with the creator of the universe and author of all things and sustainer of all things. And so, um, A, game changer. Have you, not about checking off a box of a devotional, but have you figured out a, a true way to get the best advice you could have in the world on a daily basis in the morning quiet time? Uh, to, um, you don't know, you don't know. And so it's never about one silver bullet. We think if you're at this level in business, you know, there's no silver bullet. Part of it is we, we, we use a modified balanced scorecard, look at a business to say, Hey, how am I measuring and benchmarking against what's possible in each of these areas? And most entrepreneurs kind of back into success in some area of personal expertise, whether that's technology or science or engineering, whatever it is. And so you don't know what you don't know. And so there's, only so much of your business you can maximize in your area of technical expertise. And so um, be finding ways to create disequilibrium by exposing gaps in, man, we never even thought about that kind of personnel maximization. Man, we didn't know, I've got a logistics company in Houston. They moved their employee engagement from 30% to 75% in two years. That's a game changer. You could make that kind of gains on lowering the cost of, pallets and, and transporting goods from A to B, but he just totally gave an upgrade to his whole enterprise by realizing they had a culture hindrance or um, thinking about how you do you know, pricing and contracting. So basically I would challenge that you need to be a, in a perpetual process of evaluating every dimension of your business and um, not accept false ceilings or false bottoms to the well on what can be done there. And be asking the question, um, and then an interesting question on the eternal stewardship perspective. If you're running an asset in God's holding company, what about the way you ran the company last year would excite Him to want to expand your influence next year?
1: <laughs>
0: you know, if you're writing a contract renewal proposal, hey, I think I should get to be the general manager of this business one more year based upon what I did last year or my business plan next year. What about God's divine? you know, executive committee would say, Yeah, let's put him back in. Let's let's double his capacity. Or where would where would the board of directors say, dude, you need to fix the shop you got before I let that thing grow? And I, I think there's a, that'll tip a bunch of dominoes if we stop and really ask those questions. Gosh.
1: Mike, that that that's incredible. Those are incredibly incredibly good insights um thank you so much for your time man i i want to ask you would you be willing to come back in a couple months and we can talk about some business processes and strategies and
0: we'd probably figure that out yeah uh
1: well man thank you again this is this has been awesome um really really grateful for your time brother thank you everybody thanks again for joining us if you are enjoying this show if this if you got value out of this which At this point, if you're still listening, I can't imagine you not, please, please, please take a moment to um, screenshot this podcast and share it with a friend. Shoot them a text message or put it on your social media and help us really share our message um, of really glorifying God through business. Uh, Really, uh, this is going to encourage so many people today. So if you would uh, screenshot this, you can tag me on Instagram or LinkedIn and share this with a friend. We'll see you next week. Hey, I hope you enjoyed this show today. If you want to learn more about our community, you're going to want to visit us at kingdomcapitalist.co. There you can find info on our private mastermind and even subscribe to our newsletter to get updates on new shows. And last but not least, land opportunities to get private trainings and coaching calls with the guests of this show. If you're enjoying this show, please take a minute to leave us a five-star review and also share this with a friend. We'll see you next time.